And this is part of the reason that I'm documenting right now. I'm going through another transition, and I kind of wish I could go back to past Alex. This is a pilot episode to Analysis Paralysis. This is Alex Bass, and I am here to talk about a lot of different things. So the, the premise behind Analysis Paralysis is that there are a, there are a lot of things going through my mind. Um, I run a small business, and I've been transitioning it a lot. Um, I've been doing this since 2010, so just over seven and a half years. Um, but realistically, the company has pivoted many, many times, and I'm still trying to figure out kind of where I fit in with everything. I am 25 years old, and there's a lot that I've learned, and there's a lot that I'm still learning, and I kind of wanted to just put this down somewhere and, and have some type of documentation of it while I work through these issues and hopefully help people along the way who may be in a similar path. One of the things that I noticed a lot of the time was I would listen to people who were experts or successful, and it always sounded great in theory. And they were able to talk back 10 years prior where they started to kind of, they started their thing. But it was always tough to connect with them where they are now versus where they were 10 years prior. So where I'm at is I'm trying to figure it out. I'm doing some things that are definitely moving me toward whatever that term of success is. The question of, have I hit it yet or am I close to hitting it? I don't know, but I wanted somewhere to document the process. So a little bit of a background is in 2010, I started school full-time and I was doing a triple major in business management, marketing, and entrepreneurship. And that's when I started my company. So as you can imagine, I really did not put that much time into it. I, I didn't have that much time to really fully run a business. And at that time, I was doing web development and a little bit of online marketing. So I was working for my stepdad's construction company at the time, and they needed some website stuff done. So I was kind of working in the back room. I was doing some admin assistant type things. And then they're like, hey, you know, we need to do a little bit of online marketing. Our website is old, outdated. Can you do this? And I had no idea how to do any web development. I was not a web developer. I was going to school for business. I didn't know. So I was pushed to learn web development. I was being paid to do so through the company. And I wasn't doing so well with it. I, I kind of learned the more that I worked and actually did this for about a year, year and a half, actually learned to love web development and, it, and found out that it really was one of those passions. It's definitely a passion of mine now. But very quickly, I learned, especially in the small business space, web development is very difficult. Companies don't really have large budgets. They don't want to spend $10,000, $30,000 on a website redesign, breaking that question down of, well, why should we do something custom when we can go to Squarespace and spend $1,000 building some type of thing? Like, why should we go with you versus that? And it was a tough uh, question to answer, especially early on. So at that point, I, I jumped more into the online marketing aspect. So AdWords and really focusing on what I can do there, because it was kind of clear, if you advertise, then you can get 
more business coming into your site and more business turns to conversions. And it was this clear, you know, being able to go to a client and say, hey, we got you 10 more conversions this month. It was a very clear value proposition. And that made it more comfortable for me to be able to sell it. So I kind of worked with that for the next three years, doing web development and online marketing and not doing so well. Honestly, when I first started out in 2010, I made, you know, five, $6,000 that year and it stayed pretty consistent while I was going to school. So it really was very small. So the way that I look back at it is I don't really count the first four years of the company. I was figuring things out, figuring out what we were doing. And that's where I kind of transitioned uh, at that point after four years more into the IT space. And this is part of the reason that I'm documenting right now. I'm going through another transition and I kind of wish I could go back to past Alex and ask them what was going through their mind when they wanted to transition the company. Because now that I've done it a few times, I realize that it's something that's going to keep happening and maybe be able to help other people who might also be thinking, should I be transitioning my company? It's a scary thing. You take something that you, you end up knowing very well, you become an expert in, you have past clients, you have existing clients that you're doing that service for, but should you transition you know, to a different business? And you know, oftentimes, hopefully, they overlap. And then this is kind of my experience with it. So I switched over to the IT space, and I jumped into the world of managed services provider. So that's pretty much being an outsourced IT support for a company. You can manage an entire office of maybe 20 employees. So versus them needing an internal IT person, which may cost them $70,000 a year, they can instead hire us for a fraction of that cost. And we could manage a lot of that. So we can monitor the 20, 30 computers in the office, along with five, six, seven other clients that also have 20 computers. So at the end of the day, we're managing hundreds of computers in that regard. I'm not saying that's what we're actually doing, but that's the premise. You manage hundreds of computers for many different companies that you can charge a lower price for that because you're kind of doing it at scale. So I engulfed into that world. I tried to become an expert in it. It played to my IT background. I built computers for myself, for family, friends, and I understood IT. Uh, understanding that really a lot of IT is being good at searching Google. So just searching Google for the answers. If a client has an issue, you know, you kind of just search for the error message and see what worked for people, what didn't work. Sometimes you you deal with a problem enough that you kind of have that intuition of like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do because you remember dealing with it in the past. And that's where I kind of got to this point where I realized I was kind of selling insurance in a way. I was going to these companies and saying, you know, buy this this service because if something bad happens, you need someone, you know, around to, to clean it up. But even better than that, you should be more proactive about it. Versus having us as a break-fix client, so something breaks and we come in and fix it and charge you hourly, why not pay us on retainer month to month? And this is the MSP model where you're monitoring, actively monitoring all the computers. You're backing them up. You're monitoring the servers, backing those up. So if something does happen, you have the proper backups in place. And even better, hopefully you catch it, catch the issue before it happens because you're, you're proactively monitoring it. So that was that space and it became, 
it wasn't too, too difficult to sell because there's the concept of you can either hire someone internally for $70,000 or a fraction of that for us. And at the end of the day, you know that you need that, but it really was selling insurance. And I didn't really like that aspect. I felt like there was a better way to help companies other than, than going that route. But something that I learned from that experience was documentation and learning that I may solve a problem for one client and I may experience that exact same problem two months later from a different client or even from that same client and then realize that I have to go back and do those same Google searches to find the same answer. And there's so much efficiency that was lost from doing that. So that's where I got obsessed with the documentation. So anytime that I solved a problem for a client or they ran into an issue that I saw could happen again and was likely to happen again for them or other customers, I would then go in and I would document it. I started using this program called IT Glue, and I would just document in there for everything. So that's where I kind of learned the efficiency of, you know, client has the same issue. I just jump into my documentation. Oh, here are the four steps that I did to solve it last time. And I was able to be in and out very quickly. And that's the MSP model. Being able to solve the little problems quickly or even automate those problems. And that's where you really have the value because you're not really charging that much from month to month. If you actually had to spend the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 hours per month to maintain some of these clients, you'd be losing money on them. So you have to build this level of efficiency, of consistency, of documentation. And hiring other employees, they have to be able to read this documentation as well and be able to jump in and be a part of your team and add to the documentation. And that's really how you scale an MSP. So I got into this world and I doubled down on it and I really focused on it and I saw there was a lot of money and I started getting a couple of clients, a few big clients, at least for me at the time, they were spending three, four, five hundred dollars a month with me. And I'm like, this is actually and, and they're small companies, you know, four or five employees. I'm like, I could actually see growing this because it's recurring revenue. They're paying me from month to month and I'm just maintaining them. I started thinking, hey, I could actually start hiring employees versus the web development online marketing. Web development, a lot of the time, it was selling a website one month and not selling anything for the next two months, selling a big website the third month and not seeing anything. And, and you didn't have this level of consistency that you actually did have with MSP space. So that, that's what really drew me to it, seeing that there's a different type of business model where you can really be more recurring than this one-time payment. So then that's where the more I got involved with this, I started working with some clients in the IT space and I realized they need more help than just managing their IT. So that's where it started playing to, I was working on my own company, building out an infrastructure, and I started realizing these things that I needed internally. So I needed invoicing software, I needed a help desk, because I was dealing with a lot of help ticket, trouble ticket inquiries, and then I needed a CRM, so customer relationship management, and I would be managing all of my clients within that, and realizing to track new sales opportunities and everything. There needed to be some type of, of way to do that, how to funnel that. So that's what I used the CRM for. And then I started having to send out proposals quite frequently. And I was like, this is so inconsistent. This is not efficient because I was doing it through a Word doc or Google Docs. And I was just copying over, trying to make it modular, but running into a lot of issues with it. So then that's when I started really researching the world of SaaS, which is software as a service, and, and just seeing how much software is actually out there to help solve these issues, these problems that I was having, ways to make it more efficient. So then that's where I found some 
proposal software called PandaDoc that integrated deeply with the CRM that we were using. And from there, we kind of just started moving forward. And when I say we, I really mean I. This has really been a lot of me kind of going through it. I did have a business partner initially, which was my stepdad, but he was working 70 hours a week at his construction company. And I was doing this full time. And there's a point at which I I was always an introvert and I am still introverted. And it was tough for me to go out and sell. And what my business partner was supposed to do in a sense was he was a salesman. He's a natural born salesman. He's great with sales, great with people, more extroverted in that regard. And he wasn't going out and selling because he was working 70 hours a week at his company. So then there I am trying to grow my business, going to networking events and meeting people and not really talking to people though. When I'd go to a network event, I would typically maybe see a friend of mine or someone that I've crossed paths with. I'd go over and I would talk to them and I would spend most of the time talking to people I already knew instead of going out and meeting new people and really talking about my business, learning about theirs, learning about their needs and doing the things that actually takes to sell. And then at the end of these network events, I would kind of just be leaving and be like, you know, I just went here. I didn't talk to anyone that would actually help my business. So why am I even doing this? And then I would get frustrated at my business partner. It's like, you know, I shouldn't even be doing this. They should be doing this. Like they should be doing this. This is what they do. This is why they're a business partner in this company. They're supposed to be doing the sales and marketing. So then that's where it kind of led to a few years prior um, from now, actually a few years ago, I broke off the partnership that I had with, with them. And this was before we were doing too much business because I started realizing that I was using them as a crutch. And after breaking off the partnership, I would go to networking events. And instead of standing there, when, I, when I'd get that urge to go and talk to the, the familiar people, the people that I already knew, I would kind of say to myself, the success and failure of this business is predicated on whether or not I go and talk to people that I don't know. And it would actually push me to go and talk to people. And that introverted side that, that I had slowly started kind of shifting and forming and allowing me to be more extroverted. I learned to kind of love people from doing that. The more I talk to people and learn about them, the more that I learned, you know, people are interesting. I want to talk to people more. There is still this introverted side to me that that I love and that I'm very much a part of, but the extroverted side of actually getting to know people and learning about their needs, their issues, especially in the business world, that's what's going to help me grow my business, and I need to be doing that. So there's been a lot of personal growth, and I think I kind of want to maybe take a different episode and talk more to the personal growth aspect of this because it's been one of the most rewarding aspects of starting my own business, and I'm still growing substantially from it. And I think a lot of what I'm doing this for is for the personal growth aspect. But so going back to the IT support kind of mindset, that's where I kind of started transitioning into the software as a service space and solving my own company problems with SaaS software. And then that's where I started realizing, why can't I offer these same services to clients of mine? It makes no sense for me to just be using them internally, building these efficiencies up, using all this software, being efficient, and not actually offering it to clients of mine. So I went to my stepdad's company, construction company, and I always kind of saw him as a guinea pig in that regard because we had built the trust up through so many years of working together. And I said, hey, we need a CRM. 
And he's like, great, what's that? And we talked it over, explained, you know, this is where you manage all of your company relationships with customers, with vendors. It's where you manage sales opportunities. You build a process, a funnel of qualifying leads and moving them through a, a sales system. And he understood that he's been in sales a lot of his life. He's ran large companies in the past as well. But a CRM was definitely something that was new to him and to me. So kind of went through and learned how to use it at scale. So this is going from a very small company that I was doing maybe $20,000 that year. And here's a company that was doing nearly a million dollars that I was able to go to and use this software at scale, at least at scale for, for me versus what I was doing internally. So I learned a lot from that. We learned a lot from that. And he started to realized he was selling a couple of clients because of the CRM. The CRM was pushing him to follow up and he said, you know, this is gold. Like he understood it. You know, the value of the CRM started to really make sense because one job that sold, it paid for the CRM for, for two years. So it was such a no-brainer at that point. And I started to see at that point, you know, there's something here. I think there's something more than just IT support. I can actually help businesses, but I still need to understand, you know, what I am doing here. So that's where I kind of transitioned into a little bit of the other SaaS software out there. And well, if I could help them with the CRM, what else can I help them with? And then that's when I noticed, along with my mom, we saw that he was spending a lot of time writing proposals, spending two, three hours writing various custom proposals for the custom bathroom kitchen work that they were doing. And we said, you know, why can't you do this quicker? And then also, why don't you follow up more with this? And that's where I started researching software and stumbled upon PandaDoc, and it integrated deeply with Prosperworks, which is the CRM that we use, and we implemented it. And what that did was it allowed him to modularize his proposals and contracts. He was able to take these two-hour proposals that he was writing and turn them into a 20-30 minute proposal that they can do. So. Essentially, he was able to do four times the amount of work in those two hours worth of time. So there's a lot of value there as well. It took a lot of time to get started, to build the trust. It was a difficult thing to even get them on board with it. But when they did, they really started seeing the value. And I started seeing the value as well. In theory, I figured, you know, this makes sense. This will solve the problem that he's having. But I don't really know. And then we tried it and it worked. So this is where a little bit of a pivot started happening for my company from the IT space to more of a CRM consultant, a software consultant, and a lot of automation played into this as well. So depending on what stage throughout the process, throughout the sales process, it would trigger automations that would create tasks and assign them to different people on the team. It would trigger emails to go out to these customers that they were working on and automation played a massive role in this. So that's where I really kind of doubled down on saying, okay, so we do CRM and automation consulting. We do sales consulting. And it really kind of pivoted more in out of this, this IT management space and more over to this consulting and this automation. And this is where I stayed for a while and really where I still am in some regard. I've kind of been going through one more pivot lately, which I think brings a lot of clarity and ties a lot of things together. And that's really why I wanted to record this right now. I'm going through another transition, another pivot. But I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I want this to be 
in some place to be able to listen back to it and, and possibly help people. So automation consulting, it's a confusing thing. What does that even mean? What are you doing? And I started going to networking events and talking to people and it wasn't really clear as to what it is that I was doing. And I would even take a few examples of clients that I started gaining traction with and telling them what I was doing for them. And it still never really clicked with people, even understanding truly how a CRM can help. Like they get a CRM in the sense of what it does, but how can it really help? Why should they actually call to do business with us? And it never really clicked. And the more that I just kind of dealt with this and being confused, I got a few more clients and I kind of started realizing there, I think there's a bigger picture here. And talking to a lot of mentors of mine, I kind of learned that what I could be doing here more than just implementing SaaS software is helping develop the business processes that like that exist for the different companies because every company has processes that they are doing on a day-to-day basis and I started learning that internally where if I'm doing admin and I'm so inefficient at it because my main day-to-day is not admin work that's something I may need to reconcile my accounts once a month or pay quarterly sales tax and every time I jumped into it I was very inefficient so I started taking that documentation mindset of mine and I would document the process essentially. And it took, say, paying quarterly sales tax, it would take me four hours initially. Then the more I documented, refined it each quarter as I did it, then it started to only take 20 minutes to do. And this was jumping totally out of the admin world and then working on other stuff for the month, the quarter, and then jumping back into paying my sales tax. And it took 20 minutes because I built a process because I documented it, and I realized that I was actually doing this internally for so long. And that's where it kind of came to my clients, where it's like, you have a lot of processes. You have employees that are doing things. If you have any employee of yours that you don't think is replaceable, that's not you're not putting yourself in a good position as a business owner, because at the end of the day, they are doing various processes throughout the day. And if you have those documented then it matters much less if you have Bob or Jim or Betsy doing admin for your company. You should be able to build a process that whoever can follow and do that. So if you come into my company and you need to pay quarterly sales tax, you just need to follow this process. And you should be able to do it within 20 to 30 minutes, your first time ever doing it. It's a very clear follow the images, follow the follow the process. So there's a lot of value there in terms of time savings And it also allows you to start building some intellectual property of, you know, what makes a company valuable. And it's really, it's the processes that they have. And at the end of the day, you look at these companies like Amazon, and it's not that they sell the best stuff. They're really selling a lot of what other people are selling. And a lot of the people that you're buying from, from Amazon, they're other companies and they're other people. What they have is a system a robust system, they have customer support, they have processes in place, and it makes them a force to be reckoned with. And that's really what makes businesses grow, truly, and what makes them be sustainable and valuable. So I've been transitioning more into this business process design, and that does not mean I'm throwing away any of the CRM or automation or IT. I am moving out of web development online marketing I don't do that for clients, though I did just recently get a client that wanted to really deeply integrate their, their web app 
with the CRM. So then I did turn into kind of web development company because it serves the purpose of, you know, a larger picture here, the CRM, the automation and the business process design. So it doesn't mean I'm totally, that I have totally abandoned my past. I think there's a lot of overlap and a business process is really an over-encompassing thing that may include different software. It may include a CRM. It may include a proposal, an invoicing system, an admin system, a voice over IP system. It, in, it may include all those things, and really it should include all of those things. And then how do they work together, and how do you automate once you have a process built? Where can you automate within the process to make it so Betsy or Jim don't have to do this thing over and over and over because a system can take care of it. And that's where I think there's a lot of overlap here. And I'm really turning more into a process design consulting company. And at the end of the day, what is that? Well, companies have problems. They have difficulties scaling. They have hurdles that they have to get over. And at the end of the day, too, they have processes. They have them. If you're a company and you've been running long enough, chances are you've been doing things consistently. You have these sales processes. You have these admin processes. Like You have these things. You just don't necessarily have them documented. You just don't necessarily have them built in a way that you can hire a new employee and have them jump in and take care of it. And that's what I want my company to be doing. So in that regard, I still get to work with SaaS software. I still get to work in the IT space because IT overlaps so much of it where we're G Suite partners and at a core level, what is IT? Well, you think to the email for your company, that's an IT issue that is, you know, managing it. So I'm still in a lot of these places and I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm pivoting, but I think there's, I've kind of moved to this point at which there's an over encompassing service that's still focused. I'm not broad. I'm not doing web development, online marketing, all of these different things under the sun. IT complements what the CRM does. And I'm trying to figure this out right now. And I think this is part of the purpose of this podcast is to not have an answer or have, I don't even necessarily know if I'm making the right decision, right? But I've talked to mentors, I've talked to a lot of people, and this is kind of where my head is at right now. And I'm thinking about documenting the process just as I do in my work. This podcast is a way for me to kind of document this process, which is the process of building a business. And there's a lot of motivation that I have from these different podcasts of startup podcasts where he documents starting his company into getting investors, into growing it into this multi-million dollar company called Gimlet Media. And then here I am going more of a traditional route. I'm not looking for investors. I'm not looking to grow this startup and, and grow very quickly and rapidly. I'm trying to do this more on my own and not look for the VC path. I don't want to sell part of my company. I'm trying to just see what I can do here. So this is just kind of a, a pilot to this, and I think I'll definitely refine it and find more of a voice over time. I know I went through a lot of things on this episode, but I think that there may be something to this at the very least for me to kind of listen back on as I grow and be able to reference things and just have something that I can look at. And if anyone else chooses to listen to it and if they could gain anything from it or continue a conversation, you know, 
that would be just that would be awesome. That's that's more than even what I'm looking to do. So what would be great is if if anyone um, wants to jump in and talk, you know, definitely reach out to me on Twitter. You could find my information at Alex H Bass, and I would love to eventually start bringing on guests and people that are in maybe starting a business of their own and they're trying to figure out ways to scale um, and just having a conversation around business process because there aren't a lot of companies that are talking about this. Sorry, there aren't a lot of podcasts talking about this. There, there are podcasts talking about businesses and you know startups and venture back funding. There's, there's, there's more than enough of that out there. This is more taking a business that is traditional in some sense and trying to figure out a way to grow it and scale it and pivot. What's next? I don't know. This is Alex Bass with Analysis Paralysis. Thank you so much for listening. I am planning on doing many more of these. So if you could, if you enjoy this, please, if you can make your way over to iTunes and leave a review. Unfortunately, I think that's one of the only areas that that you can really review podcasts nowadays. So if you could do that, that would be greatly appreciated. You could just search for Analysis Paralysis. If you want to reach out to me, because maybe you want to possibly join me on an episode in the future, we can talk about business process process automation, efficiency, CRM, maybe if you're a business owner that's implemented automation. So please reach out to me on Twitter, Alex H. Bass is my handle, or you can email me at abass at aparalysis.com. Thanks so much.